Welcome to the Sell or Die podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Gittimer. And I'm your host, Jen Gittimer. Well, in this podcast, we're going to help you attract more qualified, unbelievable, ready-to-buy clients. We're going to help you build loyal relationships. And the one thing you're hoping for, close more deals. Let's get into it. It's time to sell or die. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Sell or Die. Today, we have a very special guest. Returning back from Vietnam, Italy, and uh, New Jersey, uh, <laughs> and points east and west, we have the great Steve Trang. Steve, where do you live? Uh, I live in Phoenix, Arizona. Well, technically Chandler, a suburb of Phoenix, Arizona, where all the gurus, for the most part, live. Yeah, it's civilized. Phoenix is civilized. Yeah. Except in the summer when it's cooler in a hot tub than it is outside. <laughs> I mean, we have five months of summer, but beyond that, it's pretty awesome. You do. So where do you go for those five months? Uh, we mostly stay here. I mean, I don't know anything but work. I have a hard time vacationing. I might be broken, right? Like my friend says I need therapy. Um, but I just love working. I love doing things that I'm passionate about. So diehards, let's focus in on that for just a second. Steve only knows America, but his background is he's a refugee from another country. We don't want to name the country because it wouldn't be fair to Vietnam, correct? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the bottom line is he came here as an immigrant. Well, his parents immigrated here after the yes. war. And their situation is a whole other, it's a whole other episode. But the bottom line here is Steve has the work ethic of a non-American living in America. Yeah. Same family values, but different work ethic. And here's a guy who lives in an oven, literally. <laughs> from, <laughs> yeah. from June until September. Average day is 110 degrees. I mean, we, were, we, we passed 110 multiple days in the last few weeks. Yes. Yeah. But it's normal for Phoenix. It's not like global warming bullshit. This is no. like, this is what life is like in Phoenix. Everything I know, this is the way it's always been. Wow. And so the challenge is, okay, what's your productivity level based on your work ethic? Because a lot of people think, oh, summertime, I can just slack off. Yeah, you could. Or summertime, I'm just, I'm going to, I need to plan my whole vacation. Mm -hmm. So I don't have as much time for work as I'd really like to. And it's nighttime and it gets dark later, so I might as well stay out till 10 or 11 o'clock at night, and I'll have one more beer, okay, two more beers, but that's it. Three more beers, and that's it. Well, it's and um, I started on the sales side in the realtor world, and yeah, it's a ghost town here in July. I mean, all the realtors are either in San Diego or other parts of the country in July, which is always great, because as long as you're willing to prospect, you had all the business you needed. I was just going to say, it sounds like we should pack our bags and go to Phoenix or Scottsdale. <laughs> in July and be a realtor. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. I, I will tell you when I was searching for a home base, Dallas and Phoenix were the other two considerations for me. Uh, actually, San Francisco was a consideration at first. And then I realized it's a hellhole in disguise. So <laughs> that was out. But Phoenix and Dallas were both appropriate. Dallas in the middle of the country can travel anywhere in, in an hour and a half, two hours. And Phoenix, because it's Phoenix. Yeah. I, I settled on Charlotte and it was the right thing to do. East Charlotte's Coast. wonderful too. Yeah. Um, but tell me about your average day of work. Average day of work. I mean, I normally get to the office sometime around hold on, eight. Hold on. Hold on. 
tell tell our diehards what you do for a living. That might help. Sure. Uh, well, I mean, I do a whole bunch of different things, and that's it's a it's a blessing and a curse, right? So I, I do sales training. I own a title company. Uh, we wholesale, which which is where we buy distressed assets and sell the contracts. Uh, we flip some of those properties reluctantly. Uh, I create a lot of social media content. So I'm a podcaster as well. I still have a realtor's license, but I don't really do the activities. I'm at an MLM where we just have our downline and we're growing the downline for revenue. I make a good amount of uh, income from affiliate where we push products that we believe in and we get rewarded for pushing products we believe in. I own a bank, own, an, own some apartments. So did you just say you own a bank? A fraction of a bank. Yeah. So there's a bank in town. It's a Scottsdale Community Bank. Uh, Give a key they to were, the vault. Well, that's the funny thing about this bank because it's newer. They don't have like a vault that you can see. <laughs> so, oh, man. I know. I wanted to record some content around there. It's like, well, there's no actual vault you can walk in. It's like, well, that's kind of boring, right? Like that should have been disclosed when we invested exactly. in this. <laughs> I am down um, here in the vault. You should have your podcast in the fucking vault. That was, I saw Patrick Bet David do that. It's like, I'm going to do the same exact thing. And unfortunately, um, like they have a vault, but it's like the size of a computer and they won't tell me where it is, which I guess makes sense. And That's so, crazy. yeah. Where do they keep the safe deposit boxes? So there's no safe deposit boxes. It's a, since it's a community bank and there's not any deposit boxes, uh, their focus is really just investing, lending to the communities, right? Lending to businesses uh, in Scottsdale, Phoenix, and so on. So. That's cool. uh, but yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, it sounds like you have multiple streams of revenue, which is every entrepreneur's dream. Mm -hmm. And I'm cheating a little bit because I know the answer, but I'd love for you to tell our diehards, like, did you wake up this way? And you were like, oh, I moved to America. I got it all going on. Or like, yeah. what's the backstory here? Like, how did you become this success? Woke up on third base and thought he hit a triple. Easy. <laughs> So I think a lot of it- Wait, 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 the I, Diamondbacks haven't hit a triple all year, but keep going. <laughs> I think there's a good amount of uh, culture. And I think it's a good amount of the upbringing as far as like, you know, the scars we've had, you know, like uh, one of the things I talk about, they ask, why do I, why am I so active creating content around business ownership, sales, this and that? It's like, well, I want to change our mindset. Uh, I want to preach what I say, the gospel of capitalism, preach entrepreneurship. And the reason why it's so important to me it's because the one thing they can't take from you is you, right? They can take your, they can take your house, they can take your cars, they can take your money. But you've seen a lot of people that are are successful and they lose everything. They can rebuild it. So for me, right. you know, seeing how my grandparents, who are business owners, they were merchants in China, had you know not like a giant thing, but they were merchants. They they lived their own lives. And then you know, I always say some charismatic young man walks around, preaches about how everyone should have, you know, equality or equity or whatever. So everyone said, yeah, you're right. And then all the haves lost everything to the have nots. My, my grandparents fled, restarted everything in Vietnam. My grandparents on my dad's side were jewelers. My grandparents on my mom's side were uh, selling scrap metal, rebuilt everything. Everything was good again. Some charismatic young man walks around, says, hey, the haves are taken from the have nots. Let's make everything fair and equal. Saw what happened in Vietnam. So my parents fled. So when I came here, uh, they always taught me about money and the importance of it. And I think being that money is not taboo in the Asian culture, we can talk about money freely. Uh, I think seeing as how we've lost everything multiple times. And I think that since I was as young as I remember, I was always trying to sell something. And so I think mm -hmm. just that combination uh, resulted in, in, in this, uh, this desire to, to have multiple streams of income and really not wanting to stop.
Jen, can you take down, I was always trying to sell something. Yeah. I think it's a good title. The challenge that you have is when you're in companies, at the head of the company or you're in the company, people are going to look at your ethic, your work ethic and go, shit, he's working harder than I am. What do you do then? I mean, we're setting the standards. We want to, I think we want to hire hardworking people because we can only set the culture based on the people we hire. We can't hire lazy people and want them to be hardworking. So we want to hire hardworking people. And then we want to set the, the standard, right? Like the way you show up on your worst day is the standard for the company. And so if you're rolling in late, you're leaving early. We're not setting a great standard. Now, truth be told, I do leave early uh, on some days, but everyone knows I'm leaving early to take my kids somewhere, whether it's Kung Fu lessons, piano lessons, or something involving my kids. That's the only reason I ever leave early. It's never like, oh, had a rough day. <laughs> had a long day. I'm out of here, right? Yeah. <laughs> you said so many things that were just gold. And diehard, I challenge you to just rewind and listen to what Steve said. Yeah. Because no matter where you are in any point of your life, whether you've just lost everything or you just feel like you had a bad sales month, what Steve is saying is you have the power within you. You have the ability to change that. You have the ability to, to create your own outcome. And he had everything taken away from him and his family, not once, but twice. Like, and so this happens to people, right? They end up in a situation yeah. where they're in a country with communism or for whatever reason, they're down on their luck and they've had, you know, they've hit rock bottom. Most people at that point assume a victim mindset. So how did you get out of that victim mindset or did you never have it? Like, what was that like? Like, it, you're not like, woe is me. You're like, no, I'm a capitalist. Right. We're going to go figure this out. I think a lot of that is hard wiring. And I think, uh, well, I think probably a good chunk is hard wiring, but I think part of it as well was, you know, the upbringing, you know, nature and nurture. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember, uh, I, I am an awful, awful singer. Um, and I remember in college, I even took voice lessons, which, you know, to my friend's detriment, because they had to listen to it. But I remember like, when I was a kid, like I was four or five, and I was singing, and I was like, I apologize. And my mom's like, I'm sorry, you have to listen to this. Because I know how bad I am. And she's like, if you oh believe God. it, if you believe it, you can do it, you can do anything you believe in. I think that's stuck with me. Right. And then the singing part's not true. But everything else, right? we can control our actions, we can control activities, control our behaviors to dictate the outcome. I think that there's an ability for every person on this podcast to rethink what their level of dedication is. Yeah. On a scale of one to 10, how hard of a worker are you? On a scale of one to 10, how are you inspired by your heritage to work as hard as you should? Because Steve has both. He's got the work ethic, but he also has the heritage ethic. And that's huge, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, there was a great line I heard some time ago. I think it was David Sandler. As you're making exactly the amount of money you deserve. It's like, oh, really? Right? And he's like, yeah, because if, if you weren't making what you felt like you deserve, you'd do something about it. Ooh. Ooh. I bet that stings for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely unpleasant to hear if you're not what making you the kind of money you want to make. Yeah. yeah. Let me get into the fortunate and unfortunate parts of that line. I saw David Sandler in a seminar, I want to say, in 1973. He was the leader at that. He was the Jim Rohn of his day. Rohn came 10 years later. And David Sandler had all those lines, 
now he has people delivering those same lines, but it's not with the same veracity or sincerity, just in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I love listening to his old recordings. Yeah. When he says it, it resonates. Right. Yeah. He's speaking from his from his experience. He's speaking from his heart. It's a little different from someone when some of the other people say it. Yeah. It's actually kind of frustrating because I've actually gone through some of the other trainings that his companies have provided compared to his old tapes. It's nine day different. His old tapes are far superior. It's the true stuff, the real Everyone stuff. Everyone thinks they're David Sandler. Everyone thinks they're Dale Carnegie. Everyone thinks they're Zig Ziglar. There was only one of each. Yeah. I'll just leave it there. I want to know a little bit more about work ethic and drive because your parents have inspired you. Your grandparents have inspired you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because of their successes and their failures. And what, what your, your grandparents said is I can fail and it's okay. And I'll come back and I'll be a better person for it. And then your parents had to say the same thing. Yeah. I can fail and it's okay. And I'll be a better person for it. And I think that there's a lot, a lot to that. My dad taught me literally. He said, "Son, you can't succeed in business until you fail a couple of times." And after my second bankruptcy, I go, "Great, I'm ready. I'm ready to so receive." Most people would not look at it that way, but I yeah. just had my dad's words burned into me that after my second failure, I'm ready to take off. Well, I mean, what do we get rewarded for though in school? We got rewarded for success. We got rewarded for getting the right answer. We never got rewarded for failing. No, but there's responses to it. And I learned part of my attitude was from Napoleon Hill. The other part was from Glenn W. Turner. Glenn Turner was an MLM guy in the, in the 70s, 60s and 70s. And he went broke three times. And every time he would say, I'm, I'm going for it. It's going to do it. You'll never make it. You'll never make it. I started thinking about it. And I went broke. And the third time he went broke, he goes home to his wife who's crying on the floor that they took away all the furniture and everything. And Glenn Turner turns to his wife and goes, great, no more payments. Yeah. I now mean, think this... about that. Think about that. So it's not just what you what happens to you, that response, that resilience, mm -hmm. how you react, how you respond, how you recover, literally in a moment defines who you are as a human being. Absolutely. I mean, I think adversity reveals so much character. And I think one of the things that uh, I've been blessed with is I can see reality as it is. Not to say I'm not a dreamer, not to say I'm not hopeful, but when things happen, we assess. We assess things as they are today, not as we wish it would well, be. Well, that's the logic in you. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm not an assessor. I'm not an assessor. <laughs> I'm, I guess I'm a responder. You know, I look at things from the emotional side. You right. look at things from the logical side. And I apologize, but you look at it from the wrong side. I just don't want to start that out in a conversation because <laughs> I don't want to hurt your feelings. Oh, I can't. You can't hurt my feelings. Remember, I'm the objective side. I got it. Okay, good. Are you an objectivist or just the objective side? Well, I mean, I don't know what, uh, what's an objectivist. It's the Ayn Rand philosophy of business. So I haven't gone too deep in that. I would say, just generally speaking, uh, I accept the facts as the way they are. And now I get to modify myself to fit the reality. Good. To make it yeah. work you're responsible for yourself basically yes. is how that works out yeah and no one owes you anything no one's ever owed me for anything and every time i felt like they have is when i got upset yeah 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 so okay i want to know i'm dying to know because i like you have made so much from literally nothing and it's amazing to me 
how no, much like Phoenix and he moved to Phoenix to prove the Phoenix philosophy <laughs> for real. So how yeah. much have sales played a role in your growth? Uh, so sales played a role in my growth when I decided to go work for myself. So, you know, my parents, they lost everything. Right. And they come here and for whatever reason, a lot of the Asians, when they come here, they play it safe. So even though where they came from, playing it safe wasn't really how it was done. They play it safe, they get a good job, and they want their kids to get good grades so they can get jobs, so they can get good, steady, you know, jobs. Maybe emphasis on education. Emphasis on education. And so I did that, right? Like, I went to ASU, got a full ride to ASU, went to UC San Diego for my graduate degree, got that uh, paid for as well. I got a scholarship for that. Worked at Intel as an engineer for a few years, uh, and I was completely unfulfilled. Mm. And I wouldn't say I was ignorant to reality, but I was not as aware of, of how the mm -hmm. world really works until I became self-employed. Because my whole upbringing is everyone was rational and mostly logical, right? And then I became a realtor. And then you get to deal with people on, in, in emotional situations and you get to see them at, in their worst way. And you get to see how crazy our fellow humans are. And so... Once I got into sales, and I, sh I shared this with Jeff, you know, I, I had to read all these different books because my way of communicating has always been logic, and logic doesn't work in sales. And so I had to relearn how to communicate with people. And so sales has made a big difference for me in that I've had to learn how to solve problems differently, which is actually 180 degrees different than my nature. I solve problems logically programmatically process and this and that, but I had to change the way I communicate with others. And it's not actually just in sales. It's also in leadership. It's also in parenting. It's also in marriage. Like in so many places, sales has saved my butt because you have the way you communicate with others is not a logical thing. It's a, uh, we got to get their feelings <laughs> resolved again, completely opposite antithesis of how I, of how I operate. But interestingly, mm -hmm. The, oh, sorry, Jeffrey. The, the, um, so the ability to remain calm and logical in the heat of a moment where a lot of people might be getting emotional because it's mm -hmm. like they're attached to the outcome is actually to your benefit. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. So internally, you're communicating logically. Externally, you're communicating emotionally. Right. The way that they want to be communicated with, mm -hmm. which... That's where I failed because I always communicated to people how I want to be communicated with. And that did not work the first few years. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so to communicate with people the way they want to be communicated with. The sales mantra is the decision is made emotionally and then justified logically. I love that car. What are the payments? I love this house. What's the mortgage? You know, it's never the other way around. It's not what's the mortgage so I can fall in love with this. Right. It's and not. so the challenge that you have as a salesperson, especially in real estate, is you are capable of doing both. Yeah. Well, and what happened? It, to, I was gonna say it took a long time to figure that out. <laughs> it took a long time to figure that you out. Called me earlier. I could have helped you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I read your I books. Already, I read your books. I already, knew the, I already knew the answer. Okay, but here, this is the challenge. You're also surrounded by peers. You're never by yourself in this process. Yes. There's always somebody else involved and sometimes they're smart and sometimes they're just absolutely fucking dumb. And you have to get, you get over the idiot factor. Number one, over the, I made the wrong move factor, the greed factor, the dishonesty factor. There's so many things that are involved in this. 
especially in real estate where people are making arguably their biggest life decision to buy that house. Yeah. And so you have to, you're coming into this on a level playing field as level as anybody has a playing field. I mean, you need to, on your business card, it should say, I'm level, I'm, I'm, I'm level. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, I'm half emotional and half logical. Well, what well do you I mean? have to suppress the logical side. Well, but it's there and you cannot, you, there's no way you're going to fix that. Sorry to yeah. tell you, it's there forever. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's been to my benefit as well, because they know like when totally I speak. your benefit. Because you're going to come through logical people are going to be more honest than emotional people. Number one, they're going to be able to talk like, okay, you did this, you did this. Here's what's going to happen. Right. We can predict the consequence or the outcome. Yeah. I like to call it an outcome. Outcome. Yeah. But I, I then, think that you're looking at this from the perspective of you can see both sides very clearly. And the other person typically only sees one. Right. The engineer is all logic. Uh, the cop is all logic. But the life insurance sales guy, he's off the chart emotionally. Mm -hmm. The car sales guy, he's way off the chart. Yeah. And there was and actually a talking track I had to use for some time with uh, people that were buying and selling. I had to prepare them, prepare them for this emotional journey. It's like, hey, I just want to let you know, research has shown when people buy and sell is one of the most stressful events in your life. Surveys have said like the only thing more stressful than a buy sell transaction is actually burying their kids. So oh my gosh. don't be surprised if the D word gets dropped once or twice during this transaction. That's normal. Dude. And man, that made all the transactions way easier because they knew we set the expectations for the emotions they're about to show up and it was a lot less stressful thereafter. There's another element of that. And that is that people fear public speaking more than death. <laughs> and the reason is if you give a lousy speech you're still alive and i think there's there's something to that because yeah. people put themselves in these highly stressful situations if with you it's one on client maybe for half a million or a million two million bucks for a home but when you're talking to the rotarians or you're talking to a sales group you know exactly what it's like there's a huge pressure and stress on you not just to be accurate but to engage and win yeah. the audience. Yeah, oh, definitely. They know what you're talking about. So you can't BS your way through this. One of the things that I don't like about many of the other sales training entities is that they stress, you know, people don't have to like you, but they have to trust you. Like, dude, if I don't like you, I'm never going to trust you. Yeah. Learn that. If I do not like you, I will never, ever trust you. Yeah. Well, you're talking about like building rapport, right? I'm talking about so, finding things in common and then mm -hmm. building it to a point of shared value. Yeah. Yeah. So we really focus on trust, but if you're unlikable, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you're getting walked out the door. Exactly. So, yeah. So you sold real estate. At what point in selling real estate did you feel like you got, you understood sales or did it come after? It came way later. I mean, I look back probably- <laughs> So much money I've lost over the years. I probably could be retired by now because I was never, it was never a lack of willingness to spend you money didn't on marketing. You lose it, you just failed to earn it, correct? Failed to earn it, failed to earn okay. it. But I left a lot of money on the table, right? Okay. Yeah, because yeah. it wasn't a lack of willingness to spend money on marketing. It wasn't a willing, lack of willingness to invest in myself. It was just, I didn't have the skills. And it wasn't, and I read the books. You know, I read the books. 
I've done the trainings. I went through all these different things. And it really wasn't until about 2018 where I actually found a sales coach who could help me piece it all together with the tonality, with the flow, right? Like, hey, when it's going this direction, here's how you modify, right? The awareness of where you are in the situation. Because up until that point, I walk up appointment. Why did I get it? I guess they just didn't like me. I had no point place to point exactly where I lost the sale. I just know I didn't earn it. So how did you figure it out? I had a coach, you know, and I think so many people are afraid to invest themselves, but that was one of the best investments I ever made. So I hired a sales coach, not by design, not because I said I wanted sales training. It was just, I walked into a room, this guy's speaking. I was like, that guy's got it. He knows, he knows something I don't. And I hired him and I worked with him for five hours a week for two years to hone my own skills. And once I got to that point, I had other people like Steve, what you're doing, taking his sales philosophy and applying it in real estate, we want you to teach us how you are able to translate this sales philosophy into real estate. And that's what I train on. I train on applying these sales philosophies, strategies, tactics, mindset, all that into real estate. You have to be at a higher level in real estate because people have a higher risk. And many people don't have the tolerance for that million dollar risk. If you're selling real estate in Phoenix, show me a house you sell under a million bucks. And I'll show you a, a basically a track home that was built in the 40s. And so you have, you know, all these people have, they, some of them have the money, mm-hmm. but they don't have the tolerance for the risk. And you have yeah. to guide them through that risk. Yep, exactly. Literally. The bottom for line salespeople, is- salespeople, that's part of what we do. Yeah, but most people think if they have product knowledge and a little bit of training, they can go out and make big sales. Oh, no. And the difference between medium sales and big sales is understanding the other person emotionally and being able to respond to them in a way where they get you, they get it, they like you, they believe you, they have confidence in you, and they trust you, and then they will buy from you. Until then, they're going to look for somebody else. One of the things I, I, I emphasize in our training is it's like playing battleship. You know, if you can ask enough questions of the, of the other person, where basically you can see how their side of the board looks like on battleship so that when you fire your, your, your little missiles, it hits every time, right? If you can get that good at asking questions, at that point, yeah. you've earned their business. But if you don't understand their world, what they're worried about, what's keeping them up at night, what the perfect scenario looks like, if you can't articulate back to these things back to them to demonstrate you've been listening, they're going to keep looking. They're going to find the next person that cares about them. Let's talk about real estate for a minute so I can give a diehard an explanation of this, okay? Yeah. Somebody comes in and they says they want to buy a house in a neighborhood. And the real estate guy says, do you have a mortgage right now? <laughs> that would be none of your fucking business. I just want a house. I don't want an interrogation. Yeah. And that's that's the line that that, that salesperson goes down. They go down the money line mm-hmm. instead of going down the emotional line to find out what's causing them to do this. What are they hoping the outcome will be? What, what's their family like? Where do they go on vacation? Until I understand that, I'm not going to ask them what their budget is because people will spend another $500,000 if they have the money, they don't care. Right. Well, I'm looking to spend around a million. Doesn't mean shit. Why? Yeah, right. They'll spend 2 million if the house is right. Yeah. So yeah, I'm- and, and that was all that poor training I got for a majority of my career. That's like what I said. I failed to earn a significant amount of money 
because my training was a checklist. All right, Jeffrey, how many bedrooms? How many baths? Okay, do you want a pool? No pool. What school? Okay, right? Like, and and have you been pre-approved yet? Like, that was the training I got. You know, pre-approval is everything, because why do I want to? I don't want to waste your time. Real estate people say that all the time. I don't want to waste your time. That but really pissed me off. Waste when my time. Told me that. Yeah. Huh? Like when pe- when real estate brokers said, "Oh, do- can you send me your pre-approval letter?" It really pissed me off. Like, if you if we just had this conversation and you don't believe I'm ready to buy, like, then I'm not your buyer. <laughs> yeah, you have to go someplace where you can fuck yourself <laughs> because I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna tell you that. to do it. <laughs> yeah, but listen, the the bottom line is. That real estate agent has been trained a certain way and their way is get a mortgage approval or you're wasting your time. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you brought this up because like realtors are trained to fail, right? They're trained this awful way of, of talking to prospects, but they're also trained to blow money on things that don't work like bus stops and <laughs> grocery carts, uh, these, these, these newsletters to people that you don't even know, like there's all this marketing that's top poorly and all this sales that's top poorly, man, thinking about it, well, actually, there's is also aggravating. the postcard or the thank yeah. you card that you get written mm-hmm. from the realtor that says, you know, I run my business on referrals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would really appreciate it if you would mm-hmm. keep an eye out, like, yeah, dude, let me explain something. If you're good, I'm proactively going to refer you. Right. If you're shit, I'm never going to talk to you again as long as you're alive. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I know referrals is one of those things that it's good if you're good. Like you said, if you're good, it comes, it comes, right? You just got to stay top of mind. But if you're not good, forget about it. There's nothing, you, there's no money, no matter how many times you ask for it, it ain't coming. Do you uh, know a guy named Glenn Bill? I don't. I'm going to introduce you. Okay. I appreciate that. Major, major real estate guy in Indianapolis. Yeah. He's signing contracts every day. That's his goal. You got to sign a contract every day. You got to sign something every day. Like, cool. That's dedication. Huh? Dedication and clarity of metrics. He's on fire. Yeah, he's on fire. But he would be a great guy. He's got a podcast. You got a podcast. You should co-interview one another to see who's leaner and bigger. (laughs) (laughs) So the interesting thing, Die Hard, is you just witnessed a connection being made because Steve came, gave value, like spoke from his heart, delivered a great message and, and earned a referral essentially. Yeah. And that's how it's done. Not, Hey, I'm just writing to ask you for a referral. If you liked our work together, could you please pretty, please refer me yeah. to someone? Yeah. Do you know anybody who's looking to buy or sell? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Who do you know? So um, there's all kinds of things we can talk about offline because right now we are approaching the time where I have to ask you how people can get in touch with you, mm-hmm. um, which means that our time, unfortunately, is coming to a close. But I think we should open this up to another meeting and yeah, talk about what's what's really happening in that world of your world, because you have a real solid world right now that you built on your own. Yeah. And people want to know how you built it. But before we go, where really, where can people find you? <laughs> oh, yeah, that part. Yeah. So there's a few different places. There's Instagram. Uh, there's uh, on Instagram, it's at steve.trang. If you go to uh, disruptors.com, that's uh, our place where we market all of our services. So disruptors.com or uh, we have our podcast, 
real estate disruptors where we interview other people in the real estate industry that are doing really well in their respective uh, niche. You're going to love Glenn. Yeah. He's got, awesome. he's oh. got balls the size of Texas. <laughs> Steve, thank you That's so impressive. much for being oh, I'm here. I'm sorry. I apologize. Austin. <laughs> Well, thank you for having me. I mean, it was it was a great honor for myself as well. I mean, like I said, I still remember driving around, going to showings, right? You got your prospect, you got your client in the other car. And I'm listening to Jeffrey Gittimer. And I'm listening like the half thing. Like we don't do 12 or 13. We have to do 12 and a half. Like it's an absolute honor of mine getting to meet someone that's, you know, made a difference in my life. It's there a pleasure. Believe me, it's a total pleasure. So thank Until you very next much. Next time, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm Jane Gittimer. I'm Jeffrey Gittimer. Go out there and buy a piece of real estate, even if your ass falls off. Thanks for listening to the show. Don't forget to like, share. Yeah, share with both your friends. And subscribe to the podcast. And remember, we have a free 22-day sales challenge. Just go to Gittimer.com slash sales challenge to start you on your way.